0: So welcome to the panel indeed National, Zaina Jalil and Simon Pound with me this afternoon. Yesterday, we discussed the issue of an anti mandate, anti dax group standing candidates in local body elections to quote unquote sway the results and throw our weight around. The group uh, Voices for Freedom wanting to make the country. Ungovernable, unquote. Now that has been part of a wider expose by Lewis Cleave and Paula Penfold for stuff. It raises a number of issues, of course. People emailing into the panel yesterday quite concerned, especially the infiltration of school boards of such groups. Today it was revealed that white supremacist Philip Arps was standing for a school board in Ototahi. With well, us is Stephen Judd from Fact, fighting against conspiracy theories. Oh, dear! Oh, Stephen, welcome to the panel.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Good to have you on, Stephen. What are the key issues for you having such people backed by anti-vax groups entering local politics or indeed school boards?
1: Um, well, the biggest issue is that they're not open about who they are. So, you know, in New Zealand, anyone can run for office and anyone can believe what they like. But if you're concealing what you believe so that voters don't know what you believe, then that's really undermining democracy.
0: And the fact that there is often low participation in local elections, both candidates and voting, does that just exacerbate the issue?
1: Oh, it certainly does. And I mean, in New Zealand's biggest cities, for years, we've seen candidates who clearly hold, hold some funny beliefs or maybe might not be very well, but uh, they don't win. Because, in, especially in our biggest cities, local body elections are very well contested. But, especially in more rural, less populated um, local government, um, it's a different story. And those people can just get in by default. And they're often not subject to the same scrutiny that um, people in big cities with, uh, you know, better resourced media are under.
0: Yeah, we had uh, a couple of texts yesterday. In fact, uh, there was a bit of concern amongst listeners. One, uh, Stephen, from a rural school, in fact, uh, saying, look, we have a a candidate or two um, put up by an anti-vaccination group. Uh, High chance of getting in. We're not quite sure what to do, if anything.
1: Well, honestly, the right thing to do was get your time machine and get nominated um, several weeks ago. Mm. I know that sounds flippant, but um, there aren't very many remedies available to the ordinary voter. When boards of trustees or local government bodies are truly dysfunctional, there are statutory mechanisms for the government to intervene, but you're going to have to reach a pretty high bar to reach that standard. Uh, it's not really clear what you can do beyond throwing your support and weight behind the staff who will deal with these people and with any members of the Board of Trustees um, who you do think uh, align with your values.
0: All right, designer let's bring you in
2: yeah thanks i mean um the school board of trustees one is is very timely at the moment well they both are local government as well i've just been um you know received papers for my children's schools for both schools and i Uh think the thing that really strikes me with with that but also the local government one is just how little information you have on the candidates that you are voting um on so you get like a couple of paragraphs and to be quite honest i mean how many of us go and actually read more about them or find out more about them right so so you've got a couple of paragraphs to decide who you are voting for in terms of who's going to be making decisions around your children's schools or who's going to be making decisions at the local government level, which impact all our lives. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a piece in there around how do we, um, what the screening process is like, but, you know, um, but also how we get more information by people that's readily available uh, in, a, in a sort of time effective manner, if you like, um, that just helps us to make more informed choices.
0: I think that's a great uh, point, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, it's it's something that uh, on the face value is fairly obvious. Yeah, We need information about the candidate, but we need more uh, information.
1: Well, and and also we need truthful information. Yeah, What we've just seen um, in Christchurch today, but uh, potentially around the country, is people who, even in the few words that they give us, are not telling the truth about their affiliations or what they believe.
0: I see that Voices for Freedom sent an email telling candidates to stand as independents, quoting, don't put VFF as the affiliation group. So, um, Stephen, are better background affiliation references and reference checks needed?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I don't think that really should be the domain of... Um, public officials to do that. That's really the domain of the media um, and and civil society organisations. And I think what we're partly seeing is a consequence of how stretched news media are and um, our groups in our community are so that they can't weigh in and tell us about these people until it's too late.
3: OK, Simon. It's so tricky, isn't it? As you kind of have, well, well, the work that you do is so important in stopping this, obviously. But, you know, as kind of normal people, you just kind of hope that if you ignore these people, they'll go away. You know, like there's no more, you know, the the mandates are kind of, you know, easing up. And, you know, the vaccine conversation has dropped off and all of these things. You're like, maybe they'll just blow themselves out like, you know, a summer storm. But unfortunately, candles on a birthday cake, they're so unusually interested and they've got such a community around around being intense about this stuff. And it's a perfect storm, them getting into uh, things like local body or school elections where, you know, the real fear is the places that aren't contested at all. And, um, you know, like like you say, you get some very odd people at the best of times getting into um, politics. But now must be the time, like, maybe we need a new party of, like, kind of normal, generally um, rational, uh, don't-get-too-excited-about-stuffed people to start having to put their hands up, is being in local politics even um, seems like a terrible job. Well, to, to be fair, there is a substantial proportion
1: of candidates as there are. I mean, we, we shouldn't be too dismissive of the people who just like really genuinely stand in good faith trying to improve their
3: communities. Yeah, I think that's a very yeah. fair point.
0: <laughs> hey, to, to, to those people, Stephen, and, and quite a few actually, uh, Graham says a democracy all around the world is in trouble. Uh, I might not agree with what everybody stands for, but everyone has the right to be elected in a democracy. The voter has a responsibility, says Stephen, to be well informed about who is standing and who are they voting for. What would you say to that, Stephen?
4: Um,
1: voters should inform themselves, and we all know about things that we should do, but it is a lot of work, and um, it can be really hard to do that work. Um, I keep coming back to it's impossible to do that work if people don't tell the truth about themselves. That kind of work about exposing the truth really has to be done by people like journalists um, or by um, political opponents. Um, But Yeah, there probably are things that uh, councils and local bodies can do. Uh, The bigger ones do have democracy units and staff who are meant to uh, promote democracy and maybe they need to be beefed up or do their job differently. To be honest, this is a classic wicked problem. Um, There's societal-wide issues about why people aren't engaged with local democracy that are really complicated. And in a lot of ways, this kind of thing is a the high-level consequence of some really deep, low-level causes, and that's why it's really difficult to come up with a just quick what-should-we-do answer.
0: Understood, Stephen. Uh, Kia ora for your time, and I really appreciate you being on the panel. Thank you. Uh, that's, Thank you very much. Yeah, that's Stephen Judd from FACT, fighting against conspiracy theories. Oh, te roo. I'm a panel on this. Uh, you both uh, have um, uh, 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 people at school, children of school, I understand. Zaina, have you ever thought of running for or going on the school board? Maybe you have, I don't know.
2: No, I haven't. Um, I haven't, and I, I haven't um, because of uh, just capacity constraints, really. I mean, I've supported the school through, you know, parent-teacher associations and stuff, but, yeah. but not on the school board. But I know, you know, I know parents who, are, um, who stand and who are deeply committed and, uh, you know, put in a lot of effort and, and time into it, often for very little recognition and hardly nice. any uh, financial compensation. And, you know, so what that means, though, is that it limits the pool to people who've either got the time Uh, or resources in terms of you know earning through other channels or things that they're not relying um, on being paid to to be doing some of this work Uh, and that's something that i need i think we need to think about as well just the structures we have in place and and yeah because they incentivize people to get involved
0: such an important institution simon
3: pound what about you yeah, that's so true. And that's very much my experience as well. And that I'm lucky enough to live in an area where there are people who have resources to be able to uh, have a, a, a great number of really committed people who are taking these roles. I was. Um, uh, a, have you been a, on a board? Yeah, I was an earnest uh, student representative on um, the board of my high school for my final year. And it was magic to see up close the amount of work and the effort that um, really good people put into helping the school. People like um, Barbara Ward was, the, um, was, was on the board and um, you, know, you know, put so much work and so much effort into this. And um, yeah, it was a great thing to see up close. Well,
0: I'm, I'm really interested. I want to know uh, to those of you who have been on a school board or are on a school board – can you please get in touch with me? Email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. Do you find it a rewarding experience? Do you like being on a school board? What are some of the issues you've had to um, uh, uh, get in touch with over the last couple of years? Very interested. Have you been on a school board? 2101 is that number to text. Zaina Jaleel and Simon Pound with me today. You've probably been pinged by a speed camera before, but now there's a new type of road safety camera to be aware of. It's part of a six-month trial. Waka Kotahi has installed three secret cameras around Auckland, angled to catch people using their phone while driving. The police aren't involved at this stage, but the data reveals some pretty incredible figures. Between the 24th of May and July 16, the cameras detected a total of... 44,358 mobile phone offences. To break this down for us, we are with AA Road Safety Spokesperson, Dylan Thompson. Welcome, Dylan. You're there.
5: Yes,
6: I'm here.
0: Hey, kia ora, Dylan. Uh, Nearly 45,000 mobile phone offences. Uh, Big number, does it surprise you?
6: No, not at all. Not at all. I think... um it was about one point one percent, I think it was, of of the vehicles going past the cameras, um, and past studies have sort of shown between one to two percent of of people on the roads at any given time are on their phones. So it's it's about where we would expect, oh, okay. and, and we could have even expected a little bit more.
0: Yeah, because anecdotal, it seems to be that every second person was on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, oh, 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 clearly not. Clearly not. No, but nonetheless, it's a serious issue.
6: Well, it is, and I think it's it's the power of of numbers and proportions here, where people could sort of say, "Oh, well, one to two percent is that that much? That seems small." But the thing is, when you've got three million drivers out on the roads each day, that's tens of thousands of people at any given time who are on their phones. And that means that they're going to be slower to react to anything that suddenly happens on the road in front of them.
3: Yeah. Simon yeah I, I was surprised it wasn't higher I um, ride a bike around and as you nip between especially when people are stuck at lights and stuff everyone you is see? On there. and they're not just it's funny because people aren't just on their phones you, you know they're they're watching um you know video they're they're editing things they're like uh, you see people on laptops typing on things like no, it's from, you don't yes, see that. yes yes, you ride between parked cars people people do all kinds and yeah you know, people put on their makeup doing all kinds of stuff. so you know people are very distracted um what would you like to see happen as a result of this like do you Think we need to increase the fines, or are people taking it seriously enough? Because a lot more is done in some other countries. Hey,
6: uh, yep, other countries have much stiffer penalties than New Zealand does, and and I think we do need to look at the at the fines and um, and the right level. But I'm never I'm never an advocate for just simply the answer is raise fines and and, and whack people harder um, because number one we can only enforce. So much, so the police or cameras or anything like that. We can we can do more, but we're never going to be able to be everywhere all the time. So we have to also work on getting people to make the choice themselves to recognise actually this is this is risky, this is not a good thing to do, and I'm only probably going to be in the car for fifteen or twenty minutes at max. No. I can leave the phone alone for that long <laughs> and then pick it up later.
0: <laughs> Zina.
2: Yeah, I actually expected that number to be higher and also because I think with more flexible work options and things um, and, um, you know, Simon, you've probably seen this when you're out on your bike is people are actually having meetings while driving. Um, You know, they're on a call. That's amazing. I've been been on Zooms where someone's been driving and and sometimes with their camera on, which is um, even more shocking. So um, I think, yeah, I was quite surprised that the number was low and totally agree that, um, you know, there's there's that whole carrot and stick thing, right? So you can have enforcement, but there's a role for education as well so people themselves realise just how dangerous it is.
0: There's a role for education, uh, Dylan, but I'm just in Queensland. They take it really seriously. Drivers can be fined $1,078 Australian paying for the mobile phone news. Here, what is it? 150 buckaroos and 20 Demira points. Come on, we've got to get real.
6: Well, that's why I said I think we do need to look at the um, at the level of fines and and. I expect probably later this year that um, we've got a the government's got a review planned for all traffic infringements and penalties, looking um, right across the board at all all of our offences and what the penalties are. So that, that's a good move. Um, the interesting thing about Australia is places like Queensland. Yes, they they dramatically increased their fines sort of about a year to two years ago. Yeah, I'm really interested to see whether that has made. A difference in terms of the number of drivers using phones out on the road. Um, and, you know, we've actually got a good chance here where we can, we can look just across the ditch to see what the results have, have been. Um, because ultimately it's not about what the fine is. It's about what works best for getting people <laughs> to get off the phone. That's what
0: well, I'm interested in. Yeah, Kiota uh, Dylan, and we'll be following that very closely on the panel. You can be sure; I'll be interested to see uh, what uh, the, the effect of that massive fine. That's Dylan Thompson, there, the AA Road Safety spokesperson. It's 24 past for the panel. Now, by the way, the Prime Minister is fronting the media at 4:30 uh, p.m. Uh, we will have the latest uh, flash for you when it happens, and a little bit of analysis um, a few minutes after that. Uh, Labor MPs are in an urgent caucus this afternoon as the 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 party tries to manage damage from uh, allegations being made by Labour MP Gaurav Sharma. Uh, Such a big response regarding both collect calls and party lines. Just a few. Party lines. Here we go. Yes, 2002, I think, last of two in the country on Takaka Hill. I mistakenly answered a call to Jim Hickey. (laughs) Looking out the window, told them, uh, I was from Ngāroa Caves, didn't realise this Jim Hickey was local, lived on the helm. Uh, Sue in Hunterville said, when my baby was coming, I tried to call my husband to get to the maternity home. We were on a party line, and my neighbour was tying up the line for ages on a long chat. Finally, the phone operator had to break into her call and ask her to get off the line. <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, with us now, we're talking about... <laughs> we are talking about... What happened before the internet? Did you walk around with maps? Uh, the answer is, uh, yes, we did. Uh, for example, there might have been a map in the glove box uh, uh, compartment of the car. Uh, what if you got lost? Well, you'd go to a local service station and ask directions. How did you tell people you were on the way to meet them? You didn't. Uh, and what is a click call or a party line? And with us now is Sandra on Party Line. Sandra, kia ora. Kia ora Wallace. How are you doing? Tell us about party lines in your neck of the woods.
4: It's a long time ago, you know. (laughs) Well, as I say, my parents had a farm out on the east coast of the Wairaapha, out from Masterton. Um, And as I say, there were 10 of us on one line. You had a Morse code ring, or you had to listen. You'd hear it going. And of course, to ring someone on the party line, you turned a handle. Our one was A, which is da, d- so one turn, and then three turns. It's just amazing. But, it Sandra, is, it is. Isn't and, and no, but no, no operator had to break in on a call. If you picked up the phone, you were listening to whoever was talking. But, but, but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, what about privacy issues? Excuse me? Privacy issues? We were just so damn glad to have any <laughs> communication. I have to tell you, I was very young at that stage. <laughs> I mean, mid-sixties. I, I, I was away at school. You could be talking about anything. Ten people listening you didn't. in. People were very discreet.
0: Huh.
4: And guarded even in what they talked about.
0: You got, oh, but you're you put-
4: absolutely right. There were, I was too young to be really told about this, but. You know, this was the rumour that there were people who spent most of their time getting free entertainment, listening to what other people were talking about.
2: Can you believe the I uh, Well, I I, I can believe it. Uh, party lines were obviously before my time, but I do remember collect calls. But sort of in, yeah. the, in the same vein, I recently moved <laughs> houses. Recently moved houses and, uh, you know, as you do, you find boxes of things in storage. And my children came across um, VHS tapes and floppy disks and they were like, what are these things? And how do you use them? How do you use
0: them? <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of, hey, Sandra, kia ora, Thank you very much for your time. Speaking, of, you. our, 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 speaking of old sounds, um, uh, let's, let, let's, 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 This, for those of you who don't know, this is what a telephone used to sound like. Nope, another one.
3: In that Simon, we we had one of those at my parents' house until very recently, until the end of copper lines that it um, that that it was connected to, yeah. and it worked the whole way through. A yeah. couple of years ago, um, when we had just a normal um, you know wireless handset um, telephone in the house, my son brought it up to me one morning when he was about four, and he said, "It's broken." I'm like, "Oh, what's wrong?" He said, like, "Doesn't do anything." <laughs> 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 Idea yeah. and, and, and so, um,
0: <laughs> okay, you heard the old school phone there. And for those who don't know, um, what does it look like? It There was a handset with a a cord, which was very twirly, and then you've got a kind of a a circle in the middle with holes and numbers, and you used to dial it like that. And with us is Wayne. And, Wayne, there used to be something called tapping the phone. Very cheeky thing to do. Might have been against the law. We all did it. Wayne, welcome. Hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Although I I do forget how to tap the phone, but um, do you recall tapping the phone?
5: Oh, look, we used to do it regularly. Obviously, we um, we had the, um, the the single phone in the hallway on the hall table. So if you want to talk to your girlfriend or something like that, you had to go around to the uh, the local pay phone. And, and not having six cents, as it was back then, um, three two-cent coins to use the phone, we uh, learned how to tap the phone. Um, which is brilliant. So I can give you a bit of an instruction on how to do it. Not that Please. it's probably much good nowadays.
0: But Go for it, I even, re-
5: I even remember our old phone number, which was 881341. And um, So similar to what your description just was, you had your dials and you had your handpiece, which was on a hook. And that hook, if you were making a normal phone call, when you put the handpiece back on, that would hang up the phone call. So if you were tapping the phone, you'd use that, that hook to tap it, and you had to make it up to the number 10. So if you wanted to dial an 8, you tapped it twice. So my phone number 881341 would be tap 2, pause, tap 2, pause, then I'd have to try and tap it nine times without missing the beat, pause, then seven, six, nine, and that would connect you through to the, to your call um, caller. Those were the days, Those Wayne, right? Those were the days? Brilliant. It was brilliant.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us on the panel. There you go, that's Wayne uh, on how to uh, tap the phones. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Simon Pound and Zyna Jaleel with me.